Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to check out The Burnham Project on Substack. You can get Burnham Podcasts. You can read my blogs and all sorts of cool stuff. It can even be sent right into your inbox. You can also watch us on Rumble and YouTube. We like Rumble better, but you can also watch us on YouTube. You can also find Burnham Podcast anywhere that you find your favorite podcast. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, click the little bells, the Rumble button, whatever the service has to offer. Click it, do that, follow us, tell people about us. Thank you very much. Burnham Podcast has a new advertising partner. Introducing DoggyBagTreats.com. Tailwagon delights for your furry friends. They've got all types of collars and leashes. They've got all natural treats. Things like minnows, chicken hearts, freeze-dried beef lung. That may not sound good to you, but your dog's going to love it. They've got all natural baked goods, things for fresh bread. They've got peanut butter, banana oat, pumpkin, cheddar bacon, and other assorted treats. They've got pet care items like paw fume, oat soap, and paw balm. You can also make wholesale orders. Burnham Podcast listeners can get a discount by entering the code BURNHAM01 at checkout. Now, back to the show. So, a couple episodes back, we had some short-term missionaries, some people who had been uh, to different countries and, and even in our hometown and done things. This episode, we've got a missionary from the Dominican Republic. His name's Craig McClure. He's been down there for 13 years, and he's got a lot of stories to tell. This one was awesome. Welcome to Burnham Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Burnham. Things change when the light comes on. Yeah, boom. Right, but we're live. We're here with Craig McClure. It's good to have you on. Thanks for coming. No, it's my pleasure. So we're going to talk about being a missionary. Okay. So how long have you been at this? Uh, we've been in the Dominican almost 13 years. Okay. Uh, so it's been a little bit of time. Yeah, well, yeah. I was, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and, and we were wondering when you stop becoming a missionary and you're just the some, pastor now, you're yeah, just there. Lives you're there like a, a gringo living in the Caribbean. Right. I'm glad you uh, said gringo. Yeah. First. No. Um, yeah. My grandpa asked me the other day, he said, so, uh, how long have you been down there now? Uh, about 13 years. Like, well, when you coming home? And I was like, well, and my grandpa's 80. I was like, uh, you know, I mean, we built a life there. My kids were born there. Yeah. We built our home. And so my wife grew up in Mexico as a missionary kid. Okay. So she spent, you know, most of her childhood overseas. Um, and then they bounced around a little bit. Um, you know, her family ended up settling here in Rome. Uh, but as a, you know, a missionary kid, you know, she never really felt like she had roots. So it was important for my wife that we landed in a location where sure. our kids were going to be able to, to have a community. We yeah. live in a village, right? So we were in New York last two weeks ago, and we go to meet the neighbors that my kids have been playing with all week. And it was a, actually a first-gen Muslim immigrant, so it was actually oh, a really wow. neat conversation. But he says to me, he's like, your kids keep talking about their village and what they do in their village. And I was like, yeah, straight up village, like way, right. legit village. So, yeah, yeah man. So... How do you, you weren't always a missionary, obviously. You started out as a high school teacher, is this right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, uh, full backstory. So, like I, you know, I mentioned, my wife growing up in Mexico. Uh, I'm originally from Hiawassee, Georgia, right? So, you know, you folks over here on the west side of Georgia, you know, uh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm from God's country, <laughs> right? Um, so, grew up in Hiawassee, and when Joanna's parents came back to the States, her dad took a church in Hiawassee, right? Mm-hmm. So, I was 14. 
Uh, my mom is a teacher of the school. Joanna walks in the front of the school, right? Like, if you know anything about Hawassi, K through 12th, you know, we don't have all these, like, you know, Rome High, Rome Middle, right, Emergy, yeah. you would like, it's like just Towns County. Towns County Comprehensive School, K yeah. through 12th in the county, right? So, Joanna walks through the doors, uh, you know, and I am in full, you know, mountain, you know, preppy jock <laughs> mode with my real tree camo and yeah, my skint yeah. head. And I grabbed my mom and I said, that girl right there, I'm going to marry her. Just like that. Just like that, brother, yeah. full of confidence, and went up to her with that same 14-year-old confidence and said, hey, I'm Craig, and I reckon me and you, we're going to get married. And this blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl rattles off something to me in Spanish. Now, growing up in Hawassi, <laughs> yeah, come on. I'm like, man, she's Pentecostal. She's speaking oh, in tongues, right? Like, I don't know. What is this foreign language? It's like she loves Jesus, right? So... Uh, come to find out, it was Spanish, and I, she still won't tell me what she said to me. But um, you still don't know. No, I just know it took two years after that to to convince her that before yes, she'd speak to you in English. Before the- she's like, "Who is this boy that ruined my life in a new school? I've never been in an English speaking <laughs> public walk in the school, front door. and it's the first day." Uh, so, you know, I say that because when you know I was a baseball guy, I wanted to play ball. Uh, that was my only focus, and then. When I started dating Joanna, she's like, "Now look, we're gonna we're gonna do this. Like, you're gonna not be an idiot anymore. (laughs) You're gonna like try hard at school, and you're gonna be smart." And um, and so I started studying, and ended up uh, when I graduated, her parents took me on my first mission trip. I'd never been. My dad was a truck driver, so vacation was stay at home because he's on the road all the time. Right. right? So I took my first trip to Mexico when I was 18, just out of high school. And, and, dude, I don't know, uh, I've told this story a thousand times, but when I crossed the border of McAllen, Texas, like, it wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't some, like, weird existential. It was just simply, this is it. Like, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, again, I, you know, some people would argue I still don't, but back then I barely spoke English, let alone Spanish, right? <laughs> uh, so decided to come back, uh, go to school, get my undergrad in Spanish with a focus in Latin culture, spent a couple semesters Studying abroad, Joanna followed me, got her nursing degree, um, and then after college, just really couldn't, you know, nail down what the Lord wanted for us. Um, and so I took a, a coaching position at Towns County High School, started coaching ball and teach it, teaching, you know, yeah. teaching I, I Spanish. Taught for a while, yeah, too. taught. Yeah. You know, basically, we just need somebody to fill this spot for a little while. So, right. hey, coach, can you jump in? So I did that for a couple years, and then. Uh, got married and took a church, uh, resigned from my teaching position, started working at a church. And yeah, a few years later, we were in Cartersville, then Dominican, man. So so there was a church then between... Yeah, I did just... two. I was an associate pastor at a church, then I took a youth pastor job at a church, uh, spent about a year and a half at First Woodstock in oh, okay. a, like a residential that's intern kind of That's your sending church, yeah, right? That's, yeah. that's our current sending church. Um, yeah, we left Hawassi, went to Woodstock. Um, and then while we were at Woodstock, we went to like two dozen different countries. I mean, we were traveling like mad going all over, you know, God, where do you want to put us? Right. So like, we've got language, we've got this training and, you know, we were at that time really leaning towards Amazon jungle. We'd went a a couple of times, like going into Peru, get in the back of a truck, you know, go over the Andes, dug out canoes for a couple of days, like, um, you know, I tell people I knew early in my marriage that I had married a woman that would 
follow me anywhere, right? And we were, you know, we were a couple days into an Amazon tributary and we're, you know, camped out into this little hut and I get up and I go looking for Joanna and I go down to the river and there's all these, you know, village women, you know, they're, they're topless, they're in their normal, you know, village garb, Joanna's clothed. Um, but she's down in this river that's full of, you know, caiman, piranha, <laughs> anacondas. And she's down in the middle of this creek, wash, hand washing our clothes with these women from the village, just, you know, uh, in her element. Like, and I, like, like, it was like, meant to be, like right? this is what she would not choose to be anywhere else on the planet. That's and I knew awesome. this, uh, this is what we're going to do the rest yeah. of our lives. So, so you've been. Man, you've been all over, I guess. You said 12 countries? Uh, almost two dozen. Yeah, How so. long are we talking about, like, in what was, like, an average per trip? Uh, a couple weeks, right? So, like, yeah. the, the, the jungle stuff, we'd be kicking up around three to four weeks. We'd taken some trips to the Middle East that were a couple-week trips, yeah. you know, just because the travel's so far. Um, and that was the thing. Like, we had went – like, when we were at Woodstock, they were saying, okay, don't limit, you know, God in the sense of – Yes, you have language. Yes, you have some mm-hmm. cultural experience, but don't limit yourself um, because of these things that you've always done. Now, I would go back to them in hindsight and say, well, perhaps, just maybe, that was the Lord's preparation for what we do today. But yeah. it, it, at the time, it was good counsel because the Lord kept closing doors, and we weren't sure where we were going to end up. And maybe it was going to be, you know, to a country that didn't have Spanish as their dominant language. But um, I mean, God would equip you though right if that was his plan well uh, if if you mean equipped by preparation yes not some you know i don't think i'm going to wake up with some kind of dream the next morning and be right, able to speak yeah. you know farsi um <laughs> but you know it's actually kind of funny because the majority of what i do today like the the vast majority of my my professional work is writing teaching and training latin americans to go to these places so you've gone to a place as a missionary as a missionary and splashing out and splashing out and so you know come to find out that if you take arabic for example you know the arabic influence on the spanish language um there's some you know estimated five thousand words that are parallel between arabic and spanish physiologically there's just so many you know parts of latin american culture uh, in general obviously there's there's nuance and you know very um, unique things about each individual culture, but in general, uh, you're moving hot climate to hot climate. You're moving, you know, uh, communal to other communal versus independent to independent, like Westerners going to those places. Right. Um, and you know, 20, I think it was 2021. Um, don't hold me to that exact date, but, uh, 48% of missionaries sent out by the evangelical church came from Latin America. Wow. Well, from the global south, they're what you we have to include Australia and some of those other places. Oh, but, okay. uh, but nevertheless, a large percentage, and yeah. one of the reasons is they're able to go places we Americans, you know, restricted access countries and whatnot. So that's what I'm spending most of my time doing now, trying to prepare people to get to those areas. Yeah. But my me living, you know, wow, in Latin America. Wild. Yes, it's super cool, it. man. It's super cool. I always want to bring them here and train them and then send them out or whatever. Yeah, I mean, people do that. And what we found is, and and it's understandable, right? Um, but a lot of times guys will want to come to the States for their theological preparation and they get here and it's just a little bit more comfortable. I mean, and you get, <laughs> yeah. you know, a lot of times and 
you know, again, this is not always the case, um, and God's sovereign over all of it, but the wife sometimes, you know, be like, man, you know, these schools are excellent. And if you're coming from a third world country, particularly not a developed country, because a lot of Latin American countries are, you know, as advanced and, and, and developed as, as a lot of Western countries, but, you know, you come and you have some of these conveniences and some of this health care and education, a lot of times God all of a sudden is calling them to pastor that yeah spanish-speaking church down the street and right not yeah. go to india uh and that's fun right yeah. uh, so that church needs a pastor too that he needs a pastor and that's okay you know what's important is that they're obedient where they are right but um if we can circumvent you know that unnecessary step of right. bringing latin americans to the states for education and we can provide that in latin american you know community without compromising the integrity of the study. And that right. tends to be what happens is, you know, guys are saying, yeah, I could stay, but the quality of my training is going to be compromised. And so how do we circumvent that? And so that's essentially what I spend most of my time doing yeah. today is trying to, to solve that problem. You kind of phase yourself out then as a middleman. And like we were talking exactly. about, ago, you're just one of them now. And you, yeah, I mean, so we went as a church planner, you know, yeah. we went to this village and we went, like I said, we didn't have any kids. We were in our mid-20s, and it was, all right, again, Joanna being an MK, so she knew a lot of the negative comments a lot of Mexicans would make about the missionaries, right? Like, yeah. she was one of them, right? And so um, those were things that, like, the inside of how, you know, foreign missionaries can be perceived by their host culture, and so we just wanted to eliminate any and all possible barriers to gospel advancement that might, you know, be within our control, right? Sure. So, you know, I love the text where, you know, obviously Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom of God, right? So right. we're supposed to seek first the kingdom, but he doesn't leave that undefined, right? Like Jesus will then continue to develop this concept of the kingdom. What is the kingdom? Then you get into the book of Acts and it's this continuation of the kingdom work, right? right? So seek first the kingdom, but then one of the first parables that Jesus gives us about the kingdom in Mark is, well, the kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so he scatters seed. And then I love the portion where it says, whether he's asleep or he is awake, Ooh. he does not know how. First the head, then the stalk. And then when the full growth has taken place, he grabs his sickle, and what does he do? He harvests. And so, all right, how do we take that and apply to what we're doing? Well, if we want to be about the kingdom, and we want to be about the kingdom work— then and I have no idea how we got on this this tangent, but here oh, we good, go. I, I, as a as a professor, I get accused of rabbit trails, like I'm ADD on steroids. I get accused of that as a pastor. It's okay. All right, so you know what I'm talking about, like the yeah. lottery and all those balls in your mind, and you don't know what's going to come out. <laughs> yeah. um, that is my handicap slash greatest resource as a teacher. Like. We'll just roll with it. <laughs> some students like it, some students don't like. Anyway, so yeah. talking about the kingdom, I don't know how we got there. Seek first the kingdom. And I love controlling what we, that's where we're at, controlling what we can control. You know, first of all, to seek the kingdom, you've got to scatter the seed, right? Right. We are stewards of the gospel. We are messengers of the gospel. But, you know, the power of God unto salvation is the gospel message, not the gospel messenger, right? And so, you know, as missionaries, um, we know that the power of what we do is the verbal proclamation of the message. Right. So we've got to get that right. So get the gospel right, then have the skill set 
to communicate the gospel, right? I mean, it's, it is one of the, I would say, frustrating and foolish issues in the, the missions community where missionaries believe that they can somehow, some way, be living in an American context or a European context, say what you will, they they aren't able to, you know, organically, casually share the gospel in a culture where they speak the language fluently, right. where they understand cultural cues. They're not even in, engaged in that, but then they think they can, like, get on an airplane, buckle a seatbelt, and somehow, <laughs> some way, God's going to give them language and then a full understanding of substitutionary atonement right. in the process, right? So those are all controllable, right? So we control the gospel, we control the language, but the, the, the humbling aspect of the missionary, Jesus says, whether he's asleep or he's awake, he just doesn't know how. First the head, then the stalk. All right, yeah. so you don't plant the seed, you're not going to have a harvest. Sure. But if you stand there and yell at it, and you try to get it to look at your Evangel Cube, and you try to get it to like repeat after me or look at my salvation bracelet, like you can plant that seed and try to get it yeah. to do all of these cool, creative ways that we have come to get decisions for Jesus. Um, and I would just argue that if God does move in that way, He moves in spite of that and not because of that. <laughs> so we can't. Con- we can't control the message. We can't control the growth. But when we understand we can't control the growth, there is just this supernatural peace that, all right, I can live in this village. I can eliminate all of these barriers. And all I have to do, and I think about it, all I have to do to be successful is rightly communicate the gospel. Mm-hmm. And if God gives growth, because he does say Jesus has a people that right. transcends culture and time, When God, in His timing, sees fit that at this act in redemptive history where the Holy Spirit of God is, you know, efficaciously bringing about the salvation of those Christ purchased, all I have to do is proclaim that news finished. And whether I'm asleep or I'm awake, I do not know how the Holy Spirit of God. So, you know, you think theologically the the external call, the internal call, we're only responsible for that external call. And if we get that... Then, you know, so my wife and I, we were there for a year, right? Mm-hmm. Like a year with no conversions. And, I mean, you get it, right? Yeah, you get yeah. it. Guys coming up to you, what you doing down there? You know, like yeah. you, my aunt so-and-so went on a cruise to the Dominican Republic. Well, right. that's nice. I mean, good, <laughs> good for her, right? You bring me over for a vacay. Oh, um, but the point is, people, we judge the success of the Great Commission typically based off of how many people get saved, how many hands got raised. Um, but that metric of measurement is not... As a matter of fact, if you look at the book of Acts, what does it say? The, the word grew. The word multiplied. Right. You know, Meaning that these the gospel taking root in the lives of people begins to give birth and yeah, begins to yeah. multiply, right? Um, so, yeah. I mean, for us, it was live in a village, live among the people, visit them every day, share the gospel with them every day in conversations like we're having right now, not like, hey, you know, I got a cute story I want to share with you. leave you with a bunch of questions. You know, it's just just like, hey, I want to get to know you. And I was praying about your nephew who was sick last week. And, you know, and then just watching God, you know, bring people to pass from death to life, right? You know, it's take heart. 
you know, your sin had been forgiven, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um, so all we have to do is, is preach the gospel? Like no, this, right? I mean, so, <laughs> effectively. preach the gospel and, when necessary, use words. How oh, that? stop. <laughs> have you been listening to my sermons? Man, I beat that drum. No, That's the, man. Um, one of the dumbest things that ever fell out of a Christian's mouth. Yeah, I mean, and it's, abs- you know, it's, it's so foolish, right? Because, you know, at no point in time, even if you look at just the, you know, the, the word gospel, the, you know, faith, you look at these, term, these terms throughout the New Testament, it is always associated with some type of verbal communication. Like, yeah. it, it, I had a friend, I'm careful saying this, this one publicly here, not because I'm going <laughs> to be like martyred, but because Don't I can be martyred anybody. for the wrong reason. Yeah. Um, this guy was adamant about not learning the language, right? Like, people are dying and going to hell. We just like, so basically, you, you see in the missions community this this inclination to compromise on preparedness in the name of urgency. Right. Uh, well, again, I think we go back, that's a theological issue at, at, at its foundation. First of all, it's we believe that if missionaries don't go to the nations— then that somehow, some way, will prevent God from accomplishing His eternal work. All right. Well, first of all, that's not possible. Right. <laughs> all right. So you, we're not that important. Now, what I can explain to you is how I know that even if we choose disobedience, that God somehow, some way, will move sovereignly on the hearts of someone else to get them to to obey. I can't articulate all of that. Sure, yeah. But what I can say is God has a people. Jesus bought somebody, you know, and God is not, you know, slow as some consider slowness. You know, God does will that all should come to faith, that everybody gets saved. It's God's will that everybody gets saved. Yes. Why hasn't he come back? Yeah, he hasn't come back because there's people in the Dominican Republic, there's people among the other people groups, these UUPGs that we have, that Jesus bought. Yeah, right. And whenever it is that through the Holy Spirit, who is effectuating all of that, you know, sacrificial, you know, um, salvific work of Christ, and applying it through the gospel message through the church, one day, right, that last one comes to faith. The yeah. last one who the father before the foundation of the world set his affections on, who the son says, I'm going to go get him. The son does it. And now in time when the Holy Spirit does that, then Jesus comes back. That's a pretty sweet thing to be a part of, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. I think that's a pretty cool thing to, as missionaries, to be able to go and tell people that. Yeah. Talk about that. Right. Um, and so you got to be able to do that in a language that's more than where's the bathroom, right? <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, anyway, to, to close that thought, that my buddies, you know, we're talking about that, and he's like, no, man, look, like, Luis, he knows that I love him. And I was like, he puts his arm around like a Dominican buddy, and I'm like, yeah, he, he absolutely knows that you love him. But he has no idea why you love him. Yeah. And yeah. what distinguishes us from the Clinton Foundation in Haiti, what distinguishes us from any other NGO is not the you know the humanitarian aid that we give. It's the the, the why sure, <laughs> behind yeah, what we yeah. do, right? 
Um, well, you're not in it for the photo op. Yeah, or the, or no, the tax write-off. Yeah, it's, or, it's it, and it's and, and we we care deeply about human suffering. You know that famous Piper quote: "Like we care deeply about human suffering, yeah. particularly eternal suffering." Right. You know, and so we've got to be able to articulate that gospel message as stewards of the gospel. Um, so yeah. So was it you that? Posted on Facebook recently that not everybody is a missionary. I think it was an article. Oh man, was, was yeah, that, that was me. Okay. Yeah, so I didn't even get to read it. I just saw that and yeah, I was like, "That's a cool thought." And I'll it come was, back to uh, it. Yeah, I've gotten some. Not everybody was thankful that I, I wrote that piece. All right, so I've got a new piece that I'm working on. As a matter of fact, the deadline is tomorrow on. Uh, the issue of short-term mission teams and missions. Okay. Uh, so I was going to ask you about this. So all right. Well, don't it's, spoil your uh, article. Yeah, the articles, if they choose, I've been asked to write it. Now, whether they'll choose to publish it, that's always uh, up in the air. So, um, yeah, so i got an article coming out soon on mission teams being used positively for, you know. For short-term. For short-term yeah. missions and how that. But, um, but to go to your question, I don't consider them to be missionaries, right? And so... It goes back to Spurgeon. So I got really frustrated a couple years ago. So that's an article that's a couple years old, but for whatever reason, that day, the Gospel Coalition republished that article, Why Not Every Christian is a Missionary, and then later that day, Why There Are No Modern-Day Apostles. So I don't know if something came through the office, Must and they were like, right? hey, tomorrow we're just going to make everybody mad. Get them all. <laughs> uh, but le- least I didn't write the Not Everybody's an Apostle article, right? Um Bless so, hearts. yeah, bless them, bless them. All right, so, yes, not everybody is a missionary. Now, that goes back to Spurgeon. Uh, Spurgeon's favorite favorite quote, everybody is a missionary or you are an imposter. Now, a- again, this just goes to show us, so like, the importance of hermeneutics, right? right. So um, the reason we're in the States right now is I was just at a Christian music festival in Buffalo, New York, uh, teaching hermeneutics. So at this conference, teaching how do we interpret our Bible. Okay, that was my next question. Yeah, so that's why we were I here. I mean, I totally know what that means. but Yeah, hermeneutics. <laughs> so the, the art and science of biblical interpretation. Okay. Like, and, I, and I believe, as a missionary, the single most important discipline that a Christian as a whole um, can dedicate their time to is hermeneutics. Like, how do we read our Bible? So if we believe in the infallibility of Scripture, if we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, and that we believe that God has spoken— uh, he has spoken definitively. He has spoken in his word, and that any and all things that we understand about Jesus is a result of what has been written in the word. Right. Um, and that, you know, we could you know, talk about all that stuff. But, you know, looking at hermeneutics, one of the main rules is language changes, right? If we were to, you know, go back just to our grandparents' generation and ask them about a sail or a mouse. Like, have you seen my mouse? Now, we're dating ourselves when we say a mouse because now people don't use mouse, mice, whatever. But um, the point is, at any given point in time in history, words can have different meanings. And what gives a word its meaning is the context and the culture and the time in which it's found, right? right? So Spurgeon. How did we apply good hermeneutics to Spurgeon? We would say at his... In, in his time period, global missions was often you know, like global evangelization, world evangelism. You might be familiar with that if you look at the yeah. writings of that time. So what Spurgeon was, what I think he meant to do, so this is dangerous, and it's in the, and in the article, right? How dare I disagree with the Prince of Preachers? Right. Um, but I think if Spurgeon were here, he was not arguing that every Christian 
meets the qualifications and the description of a New Testament missionary. Right. But we should all be gospel witnesses. And so I think he was calling people to to share the gospel. Yeah. And so just uh, so in that article, I I, I say, just like all are called to teach because the Great Commission is given all, not all are gifted teachers. Right. All are called to, you know, show acts of mercy, but not all have that gift, right? So if you take that same logic and then you look at the missionary, on the positive side, when we say every Christian is a missionary, I mean, I come from First Baptist Woodstock. It's still on our marquee. It's at most churches. Like, you pull out of the parking lot. You are now entering your mission field. Yeah. All right. No, you're not. And this is this is why. Like, it Johnny matters. Hunt's not going to listen to this, is he? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Uh, we'll see. We'll find, uh, we'll find out soon <laughs> enough, right? Uh, I would tell them this. and I, and, and yeah. uh, Because th- I understand our intent, right? We want our people to, you know, be the church scattered. Right. You know, I'm a adamant believer that the church exists for the, the church, that we should be about the family first, yeah. that church Sunday is about us, not, you know, be in this place where you can just bring your lost friends to hear the gospel. Yes, oh, they should hear you. the gospel, but, you know, I think the New Testament, uh, you know, paradigm is, you no, know, the church is where the church comes to gather, and we gather around the Lord's table, around the Lord's word, uh, the Lord's ordinances, and as we go out, then we are salt and light mm. to the world. And, you know, that goes all the way back to people not maybe necessarily being well discipled. They don't know how to evangelize. So it's like, let me evangelize you. Come, I saved you a seat at church. So, you know, so the pastor, pastor can, can get, you saved. Just get you saved, right? <laughs> all right, so I get that. Um, but let's just say that <clears throat> that's not our primary responsibility right right? like you know we should be the gospel outside of the walls of the church um i don't even really know how we were going on that that's one of those rabbit trails too um we'll chase them man yeah i would chase them but uh yeah where'd that where we going with that I don't know. Yeah, you I don't seemed either. like you were going somewhere great, and I was yeah. just along for the ride. And so that happens to me. This happens to me all the time when I'm teaching. Like it I just the same thing. If I uh, oh, the article. Here Got it. it. There it is. The thank Boom. you. Tango. Thank you. The article. Uh, dude, this literally happens to me all the time. Like all the time. Sometimes I have I'm to, in the middle of yelling at my kids. I yeah, I have to keep a pen and paper with me 24 seven because if I yeah anyway I'm gonna forget it if I don't keep going. All right. Spurgeon, not everybody's a missionary. Uh, basically, my point is this: if if we convince the church, average church member that they are obeying the Great Commission in the sense of being a missionary at their job without ever crossing geographical borders, linguistical borders, cultural borders, without doing these things that historically has been used to define a missionary, right. then w- what motive is there for anybody to actually? do that if it's like man i can be a missionary right here in rome and what? i don't have to do the heart and again i don't know that anyone's consciously thinking that way right, but subconsciously right. we're setting that precedent right it's you know it's we're communicating something and we're also communicating things you know maybe a little bit less um overtly yeah, right yeah, so yeah. Um, I just don't think that it meets the 
definition, missio, missionary, like where's that come from? We don't have the word missionary. We don't have Trinity either, Um, but it's a pretty important thing, you know, so missio, one who is sent comes from, you know, apostle. And so if you think of, all right, like the apostolic office, obviously we don't have modern day apostles in that office, but I would say that the missionary feels that apostolic um, gift, that apostolic calling um, Barnabas in the book of Acts was referred to as an apostle with a lowercase a. Um, And so we, obviously Barnabas does not meet the criteria as a actual apostle having the office because obviously Paul filled that role to the Gentiles. And so, um, yeah, I just think there's some interesting arguments to be made about. Yeah. Well, I mean, you think about somebody's, calling or their gifting or, or, or whatever. Um, not everybody's called to be the pastor of a church. Right. Not everybody's called to be a Sunday school teacher or, a, you know, any of these other things that we think of when we think of ministry right. being the umbrella term. Um, and if you're not qualified or called or led yeah. or whatever to do one of these other things, why would you go overseas and yeah. try to minister in a different language to a different mm-hmm. culture in a different place? Yeah. It makes sense. And, and if you re- if you just read the New Testament, right? Like, I mean, I, who would have thought, right? Let's just read the New Testament. <laughs> just read the book. Let the, let the book speak for itself. If you look at Acts 13, all right, so you have the Church of Antioch, a church, by the way, that as the leaders are described, are it's a multi-ethnic church you know so you have literally in the first century before we'd even get to the point where we're calling it the patristic period you've got this multi-ethnic leadership at the church of antioch barnabas calls paul paul shows up they're there about a year and then the holy spirit says church so again that's just a beautiful demonstration once more having that conversation how much of acts is descriptive and prescriptive well could we just say that the beauty of luke's work in acts as a descriptive work reveals so much because of his literary uh, artistry right? right like and so hey church you set apart for me these two men that i've called them to so again where's the precedent for modern missions practice where Hey, God's called me. I mean, I, I've counseled missionary candidates that have, God's calling me, my church won't send me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's some, in, in some cases, maybe there are illegitimate reasons why the church is withholding that, um, that they need to address. Uh, but a lot of times, that is the, the under-shepherd of Christ that right. God has placed there, uh, not only as a protector of the local flock, but a protector of the, the universal church, right? right. So... If the church sends those individuals or a parachurch organization says, that's okay, we don't need your church's approval, uh, or just have, you know, some deacon send us a letter of recommendation, right. we have to realize what we're sending to the nations as first, you know, frontline workers of the gospel. Right. And so I tell guys all the time, if you're not willing, if they don't meet the qualifications to serve in leadership, now we could debate you know, office of elder, if that, uh, I personally think a missionary should have to meet those qualifications um, just because of the, the, you know, the essential aspect of church planning, being a part of the missionary task. But um, the church of Antioch Sirius sent the best. Can you imagine like what they would have been like? Be like, Paul and Barnabas, 
Like, do you not see the two guys in the back that never give? They only show up every fifth Sunday because they want to take a sip of the, you know, communion wine, and that's when we have the Lord's Supper. Like, take those guys. Don't take these two. But the pattern in the New Testament is you send your best, right? Well, why would you not? Yeah. Would you go to a church where the the pastor wasn't the best possible guy for the job? I mean, you wouldn't, especially, and again, language and culture, you know, in in the Well, it's not kingdom-focused. Right. Right. I mean, it's it, it again is just it's a symptom of a deeper issue where pastors are more concerned about their territory, their kingdom than, you know, obviously I, I'm cautious when I talk to pastors or I'm going to a church and I'm trying to coach them into missions. I don't want to come across as like just so negative that I discourage them. Sure. But the fact of the matter is there are individuals that God you know, the New Testament's clear, you know, that Jesus in Christ, all the good works that we're supposed to do has already been made in Christ. We just have to walk in them, right? So we yeah, don't, you know, yeah. we're pretty sheep or stupid. So we just have to walk <laughs> in these things. All right, what is that? Well, as a church, we, we, we walk in these good deeds, and some of those good deeds are sending our very best to the nations. Sending our very best to the nations. Because our very best are the ones that can ensure, and again, don't misunderstand me. Woodstock probably shouldn't have sent me when they sent me. <laughs> I, I, this is looking back with you know clarity sure, of right, vision, right? right? Um, but a lot of the missionaries that we send, they, God bless them, right? I mean, we already kind of right, you know, yeah. I, calling is not equivalent to competency, and so I just want to tell young candidates. You may be called, but you're not competent. You're not ready yet. And yeah. then, well, how dare you? You know, people are lost and dying and going to hell. Well, yes, they are. Um, and so it's maintaining that balance. And I've, you know, I'm sure that people listening are saying, well, this guy's talking, you know, I'm c- contradicting myself. Yes, there's urgency. We have to take the message. But God's absolutely sovereign, and he will accomplish the mission without us. And so balancing those two things that are seemingly in conflict when yeah. an act are you know complementary that's a challenge um but i just think at the end of the day if we send our best our best are going to produce healthy churches healthy churches are then going to produce healthier churches and we can get multiplication right. that's well healthy so well, and then to illustrate your point you talked about calling versus competency i felt the call to ministry as early as 10 years mm. old. I was not competent. Yeah. I couldn't, I, there's no way I could have this conversation yeah. right now. I just wasn't a people person. Didn't want to talk to anybody. I'd walk down the hallway at school and look at the floor and hoping nobody talks. Yeah. So I'm not talk back. Couldn't have done it. Yeah. Wasn't ready for, I mean, it was 20 more years before yeah. I got into ministry. Um, but we get our feelings in there, right? Yeah, and we go, well, I'm called, so like that's got to mean yeah. that I'm equipped. Yeah. We were talking about earlier, like yeah. magic, you're, you're good to go yeah. now. Yeah, that's so. not how it works at all. Yeah, so you need brain surgery. Let's just hypothetically, you need brain surgery. And I've got a good friend of mine. He's you know he's in his mid-20s, but he wants to be a brain surgeon. He hasn't went to medical school, but hey, you want to just called. like he feels called to be a, me- <laughs> like, to be a brain surgeon. So you don't let him you know put some boreholes in your head? Yeah. yeah. Probably not. No. But yet we... Um, I don't. I was talking to somebody yesterday. Uh, my nephew is in ministry now, and he's in his early twenties. I was talking to his dad, and his dad seeing right, like, man, behind the curtain of ministry, and how it is not. 
exactly what you may envision yeah, when you're not yeah. a part of the machine that gets the thing rolling each right. week. Um, and so, you know, as I was talking to him, I was like, look, man, uh, my nephew just has to understand that this job that he stewards is the most important job in the world. Yeah. I mean, it legitimately, and it comes across as arrogant as someone who's in the ministry. But I mean, if a brain surgeon screws up, they die. <laughs> right. You know, I screw up. Jesus said it's better that I tie, you know, an anvil around my neck and throw myself off in yeah, the ocean. So yeah. I'm just thinking that if that's the case, that the punishment, you know, Jesus says if you twist the scripture, all right, you're unstable, you're ignorant, and you do it to your own destruction. Yeah. Not just my destruction, but the destruction of my hearers. That's an eternal, like, so we're dealing with eternal consequences. Yeah. Um, I feel like this, just like sin, right? You know, we, we, I'm sure you as a pastor and, and as a parent, like trying to reconcile an eternal damnation for a, you know, 60 years, 80 years, 25 years of a sinful life seems to be unfair and unjust, right? right? Um, and so when I'm teaching hermeneutics, I always walk up to like a, you know, a boy of age, so I don't go to jail for like hitting kids. <laughs> Um, but like a, a, a young man, at least 18 or older, and I'll just walk up and just give him a little love tap to the face. Nothing hard, but enough that it shocks people. Yeah. Right? And so I, I'll say, all right, why is everybody laughing? Because, you know, inevitably everyone finds it funny. Like, I can't right. believe Craig did that. Um, and then I say, okay, now let's just imagine that our president walks in this very moment, and I walk up to the president, and I, I do the same thing. Same force, same act, same motion to the President of the United States. All right, what's the outcome? And everybody at me, oh, well, you know, Secret Service, you'd never get right. that close. I'm like, well, you've proven my point, right? We, as, as a fallen humanity, we are limited by time. Mm. Like, we can't fat one, we can't fathom the glory of the gospel. We can't begin, you know, we would be struck dead in our place if we caught but a glimpse of the the full grandeur and glory of Jesus. So that's one aspect of it. But on the other side of that, just as we can't understand that, we equally can't understand the wickedness of our heart. You know, that every inclination of the heart is is evil from childhood and that nothing good dwells in me and that um, I am dead in my trespasses and sin. Apart from Christ, I am not just a worm, I am less than a worm, Right. right? And um, you you have to understand that. And so when you think about the slap of the face, we don't see eternal damnation as justified because we don't understand the glory of the Lord. And we're focused on our offense and not the one we've offended, right? Yeah. And so if I smack you on the face, nothing's happened. But if I smack the president on the face, I'm going to prison. It's not the offense that matters is the one we've offended, right? right? We've offended a holy God, and as a result, we are beyond worthy of an eternal punishment. And so, you know, try, trying to understand that aspect of sin um, and just how glorious the gospel is. And again, there's another thing. I don't know how we got there, but we went there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I think we think of 
our sin, right, and how bad we are, and I'm I'm this bad, and this other person is this bad, and you know we have how much how many bad things have I really done? Yeah. How sinful am I really? And that's our focus. It always comes back to us, yeah. Instead of the goodness of God, right? Yeah. And that's the. It's not just like I always tell my people. It's not just a line hmm. where everything on this side is good and this side is bad. There's like that razor's edge, yeah. Where the truth balance is is, is balanced. But it's it's that God is so good, yeah. Like the, it, it's, he's he's even better than we are bad. Like yeah. he's far beyond. You know, you just can't even. It, yeah, I mean, like we were walking through Walmart a couple of days ago with my my two oldest boys, and my my six year old. He's like, Papa, I just don't understand. Like, like what are we gonna do on the new creation, right? Because you know we're good new covenant theology there guys and it's like well, we're you know we're not going to heaven we're going to be here on the earth and he's like what are we going to do and i was like lucas man you ever remember doing something great like the biggest fish you ever caught and like yeah. how exciting you are and then every fishing trip you go on after that moment is you trying to recreate that yeah, moment yeah so you never you know as fallen creatures we never actually experience any pure joy in the moment because we're comparing it to joys in the past, or we we even become anxious, like you know, at a wedding, like oh well, this is the highlight, right? It'll you know, you have yeah. your first child, well, nothing will be that great. Yeah, so yeah. you're you're almost like an addict chasing your next high. But yeah. eternity, man, like so. I just told my kids, and you know, some the- theologian can correct me on my errors here, but I was like, Lucas, look, dude. <laughs> Imagine that greatest feeling that you've ever felt your entire life. Multiply it by an infinity, and then know that in time, in that moment, nothing you've experienced for the previous million years and nothing you'll experience for a million plus years will ever be any better. You'll never be more content than you are in the present. Yeah. Right? Like that is just... And how? Jesus is better. Like the whole book yeah. of Hebrews. Like, yeah, you know, times previously God's talking about it. Now Jesus. Oh, yeah. if Josh would have given us the rest, then Jesus wouldn't come. But yeah. Jesus came to give us eternal rest. I just think that's got to be, you know, if you go all the way back to what we, how we started our conversation, those gospel conversations, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. You know, we're just talking about those types of things and not, you know, do you want to go to hell? Because nobody wants to go to hell. Right? <laughs> right. Like, okay, well, what do you have to do to get out of hell? No, I, I don't. Was it Paul Washer? Somebody smart said, "You know, everybody wants to go to heaven, and but nobody really cares if Jesus is there when they get there, right?" right? And yeah. I'm like, "I want to preach a gospel where people are going to care deeply if Jesus is not there when they get there." Like that that missionary guy, yeah, he he lied to me. <laughs> yeah, like I want to talk so much about Jesus, he better be there. Oh man, yeah. for sure, for sure. So. No, but we we've talked a bunch about I mean, your, kind of your background, and then we rabbit trailed a bunch of times i wanted to bring something up to you while i was thinking about it and i've had to recycle it about 10 times in my mind we've talked a lot about language and culture when you came and spoke at our church this i mean it was 2014 15 yeah i don't even i don't long time ago yeah i'm trying to do the math in my head but you open your sermon up with a prayer and you know where this is going i I think i know where i'm this is you just like tore into spanish yeah. Like it was instinctual, not like, hey, y'all, I'm going to pray in Spanish. Like you just yeah. went into it, and I don't know how long you had been, you know, enveloped in the culture yeah. by that point. But I was like, man, 
God hears that the same way yeah. that he hears my prayer in English, right? Yeah. And we always think, well, this is the language, right? Yeah. I speak right. to God in English, and surely that's his language. But it doesn't matter, yeah. right? And you're talking about sending missionaries and having been all around yeah. the world and these different languages and cultures, and he has a people. Yeah. And they all they all speak his language, yeah. whatever their language is. And I just thought it was really cool. Yeah. It was a, a new perspective for me. You know, I, I preface that. So that's been long enough that my buddy didn't call me out on it yet. Mm. Uh, I had a friend of mine say to me, he said, why do you do that? And, and again, I do it because of what you just described. Like, yeah. I, and, and as a matter of fact, on any given Sunday, there's more prayers and songs of worship being sung and prayed in Spanish than any language on yeah. the planet, right? Yeah. Like, that's just fascinating to me. Um, but my buddy said, why do you do that? Because I can't say amen, right? And Paul says, I'd rather say a thousand words in, in, in an understandable tongue than right. one in an unintangible tongue. And I thought, all right, I need to preface this. And I said, but there are people there typically that speak Spanish. Yeah. But um, maybe, maybe that passage is not quite that context. But... Um, I do it. One, I want to encourage young people that are sitting there um, because when I was 18 years old, I couldn't count to 10 in Spanish, right? Yeah. Uh, like I said, uh, you know, you, your listeners by, will will know very quickly I, I struggle with English, right? It's like <laughs> I, all I can say is I thank God for my editors that oh, prep right. all my work, right? Like the spoken word stuff, like um, – People might hear this and be like, oh, wow, that guy's a lot dumber than I thought he was. That's because like, all the stuff that I write, I have editors that clean that mess up for me. So um, anyway, with, with the Spanish, you know, my first date with Joanna, I go, she's got five sisters, right? So even the pets were girls, right? right? And I go over for this first day, and we're getting married. I'm 16, but like I know we're, yeah. we're getting married. And I walk in, and her dad says something to her in Spanish. And I was like, oh, heck no. Oh, no, no, no. I don't think you know. I'm not going to be the one in, out of the six brother-in-laws that doesn't speak this language. Right. And I just decided then I'm going to learn. And I, I wanted to learn because I wanted to know that side of my then-girlfriend. And, and you know, But now with my kids, my, my kids' first language is Spanish. They're, you know, they're, it, it's, it's comical to yeah. watch my kids in Rome. We were, you know, and hear people like, Oh my goodness, those kids sound like Dominican kids, but they yeah. are Well, hair. I mentioned you in an episode, uh, I guess it's been two episodes back now, we had some sh- people on mm-hmm. that had done some short-term missions, and we were talking about you and how you went down there, and I don't know if you knew you were going to be there for 13 years, yeah. um, but that your kids had been born there, and they speak with English, yeah. with a Spanish accent, you know, yeah. all those things, and that's that's a missionary, right? And that's It's a whole family thing. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's definitely how we wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, I won't say it's the only way, but sure. for us, it was. Um, we had some of those non-negotiables, some of those things we can control. One, we want to live in the village. We want to live with the people. We never wanted to be accused of bringing in a, a, the, the most beautiful message that, that humanity has been entrusted with, which is the gospel, right? So we wake up every day with this treasure of the gospel, mm. and do we bury it? Or do we go out there and tell everybody, like, look, I just bought this field because this treasure's in it. And I yeah. want you to come have a part of it. If the gospel is that, I want to be able to articulate that in such a way that the people can understand it. Yeah. And, and and even as an English speaker, like my first church, 
the secretary, you know, she comes up. You know, I'm just a dumb jock, right? Like, you know, when I graduated college, my dad's like, congratulations, boy. You're in elementary school. We Well, we thought something was wrong with you. You know? So, like, <laughs> Thanks, I, Dad. I'm that guy, you know? Uh, not, not the sharpest tact. But yeah. I do know that language is memorization. Yeah. It, you just memorize. Yeah. You just got to... Yeah. You just got to work hard. Now, you may not speak with fluency, but if the gospel is the most important weapon in the missionary's arsenal, it seems that you would need, of equal importance, of equal importance, the ability to communicate that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can have your Bible in your hand. Yeah, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. yeah. And, and so... You know, obviously, the science of, of language acquisition stuff, there's lots of formal ways to, to measure that. But uh, just as a general rule of thumb, I tell young missionaries, like, when you're competent in being able to just casually converse over substitutionary atonement right. without looking for elementary words, right, to, that, you know, you, you need to be able to grab a word from the language and from the culture that communicates the point and not speak around it, right? Yeah. Like a child. You know, Paul says, when I was a baby, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. Now that I'm a man, I speak like a man. Yeah. Well, missionaries should speak like men, right? Yeah. They need to speak like men and not like children. Um, just like if, you know, out here off Burnett Ferry, my in-law's house, some foreigners, we'll call them Chinese people. Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, probably don't have a bunch of Chinese people listening mm, to your probably podcast. Not too many, maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe. If there is one, you'll know now. Okay. Um, they knock on the door and they're like, hey, send your kids out here. You know, they're speaking to me in broken English. We're like, send them out here. We're going to talk to them about the message that we brought all the way from China just for your children. Uh, right? Like, there's not a gringo parent in the world that's yeah, going to send their happen. kids out there. <laughs> but that's our mission strategy by so many Western missionaries. Yeah. And they can just go out there and sing, Jesus loves you. And yes, Jesus does love you, but... Can you explain to them why the witch that they are following, who has power, tangible power, who they have witnessed with their eyes, yeah. do supernatural Ooh. wizardry? Wizardry. Can you articulate the message in such a way that causes them to see that? Now, obviously, it's a you know the the spirit of God, but the spirit of God works. Yeah. Through that message, yeah, through yeah. that gospel. So, yeah, I mean, I, I get people get annoyed with me about the importance of language acquisition, but I'm telling you, we've been there 13 years. We have now almost 13 years. We are the most tenured missionaries now with our organization. Uh, missionary attrition rate, you know, is three to five, which aren't great numbers because there's so many other things that are, you know, that included in the, that data, right. people that are you know, considered short-termers under five years. But um, nevertheless, 13 years in modern missions, like people are like, oh, wow. So that's people are expecting time. this to be like three months. I right. know, we've been there 13 years. Um, it would not happen without language. Yeah. Like, my kids don't, it sounds awful, like we don't need American friends. Does that make sense? Like we don't need, yeah. we don't need a missionary community. So many missionary people and some people need that and that's okay um but our family like we are we are content with our dominican family our yeah. dominican church we don't need other well you're gringos. you're them now right and I, I remember i don't know if you even remember this but i've kept up with you on facebook since yeah. the first time we met and you 
posted a status once about you guys were somewhere and I think you were playing volleyball and some tourist comes up and asks you because you're the white guy, right? Yeah. And they're like, where's the so-and-so? And his wife says, honey, I don't think he speaks English. Yeah. And you hadn't said anything, you know, to them yeah. yet. But so you guys are like immersed. Yeah, and I mean, I, I do. I'm very dark skinned, dark complexion, so I'm, I'm able to fit in quite a bit. Um, you know, my kids and my wife, not so much. Like they stand out yeah. quite a bit. Uh, my kids are very quick to tell people that no, my dad's Spanish is really, really bad. So you hear that Spanish is probably pretty good. Yeah, but a native speaker hears it is. Well, that's what yeah. I was going to ask you. You knew Spanish, right? Yeah. That you learned from this book yeah. before you yeah. went down there. Yeah. So what was the difference in your book Spanish and the culture? Yeah, well, I mean, keep in mind, so like my my degree is in Spanish. Like my right. undergrad was in Spanish. Um, I was very Mexican dominant. Mm-hmm. Um, Dominican Spanish is considered to be one of, one of, if not the hardest Spanish in the world. Okay, uh, we share an island with Haiti, so there's a lot of French influence in our language. We had an indigenous people, and so being an island, we've preserved some of that yeah. indigenous language in our vocabulary. Um, but yes, yeah, so Dominicans think Cajun people, right? Okay. Like swamp people, like Troy used to kill them gators uh, down right, there yeah. in the bayou. Think that English, or and that's Dominican Spanish. Now, in the Capital Corridor, and just like you go down to New Orleans, you're going to find. But if you find just right. like the run of the mill, yeah, Bayou guy, you're going to be like, what, what, what? Did so the, you the say? Dominicans are the the Cajuns of yeah, the yeah, Hispanic. Well, yeah. Okay. Right. Dominicans, Cubans, Puerto Ricans. I mean, we share very similar. Yeah. Similar origins. There's just so many stories. influences. Yeah. in that um, neck of the woods. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean it. Um, I'll never forget my, so we were there two years, just a motorcycle. And this, I was giving this Dominican kid a ride on the back of my bike and he goes, prende la luz. Um, and I looked at him and he's like, prende la luz. And I was like, I have no idea what this guy's saying. (laughs) He's like, prende la luz. And Dominicans cut their words. So he's like, prende la luz. But they just cut off Uh, S's and just like French. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's just very slangy, very fast. It's so, so fast. Like. Um, when my kids go into so my kids like at night when they talk in their sleep they talk in Spanish and like I'll sit and listen to them sometimes <laughs> and I'm just like it is like rapid fire full auto well that's all I've ever known yeah, right? I mean, you went down and learned it yeah, but that's I where they were born that's just yeah so, are all your kids born there yeah all four wow. born on the island so my oldest just turned 11 um, and so yeah we've been down there just under two years when he mm-hmm. was when he was born so so you went to the Dominican, which is the hardest Spanish. Yeah. And then if memory serves, you specified that you wanted to go to the most dangerous village or the, the unreached or, or whatever the yeah. scenario was. But it wasn't an ideal place to walk into to begin with. How did you make that inroad? Right. So, again, going back to you know Joanna, just early on, we had some of these non-negotiables. And basically it was if we're going to the Dominican Republic. Um, so we ended up in the DR because of the Haiti earthquake. Um, hmm. Dominican was not anywhere on my my radar. Uh, So I was pastoring in Cartersville when the Haiti earthquake hit. And I just, you know, I remember sitting in my office and just like, I need to get down there. I got no training in disaster relief. um, But on my way home from the office that day, I got a call from Woodstock, the pastor at Woodstock. He's like, hey, we're sending a team down. I don't know why, but, you know, this looks like something that's got you written all over it. You speak Spanish, right? It'd be fun. Crazy, man. But. 
I feel like I'm supposed to go. Yeah. Anyway, seven days later, we were there, but we had to travel through the DR. Mm-hmm. And so on that trip, I met several, like there were multiple heads of organizations and NGOs that were trying to get into Haiti on that bus. And so we were one of the first groups to get in. And they said, so you're bilingual, wife's bilingual, she's a nurse, you're a pastor. What, what are y'all doing in the States? Uh, and I said, you know, man, the DR, that's nice, but that's just too touristy for yeah. me. And he said something that just it shook me. He's like, well, I think you have the wrong perception of the Dominican. You, you know what they want you to know. And I was uh. like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, and then just started looking at the demographics, um, looking at, you know, the history of the church in the Dominican and, and the fact that there are more evangelical Christians in Haiti than there are in the Dominican Republic. So um, if, if we look at the world through spiritual eyes mm-hmm. and, and not to minimize, you know, earthly suffering, temporal suffering with what's going on in Haiti, but purely speaking, theologically. Sure. The Dominican Republic has the bigger need. There's less likelihood of a Dominican non-believer coming in contact with a gospel witness than they are in Haiti. Now, you might get mugged on your way to do it in Haiti. That's neither here nor there. That's not the point. The point is, where do we need people? So we found between three to 4,000 villages in the DR that we couldn't identify an evangelical church. Mm -hmm. These are small villages, can be anywhere between 100 to a couple thousand people. We moved there. We met with some local guys, said, all right, on a map, give me some thumbtacks. Show me the villages nobody wants to go to. They put three or four on a map, and I said, all right, we'll see you all later. Jumped on the motorcycle. Off we went. Um, When we found the village that we currently live in, my wife was in Mexico. She had left to go do a women's conference with her mom and translate. And I find the village and rented our first house. Uh, next to a Haitian witch doctor. Yes, let's we, go. We had no. <laughs> she comes back. We have. We now have signed a two-year lease on a house that has no indoor plumbing uh, and electricity. <laughs> only like four hours a day, uh, and our neighbors are witches. That's fantastic. Um, and you're missionaries you, now. Yeah, we were killing like forty massive cat-sized rats in our house a, a, uh. a month. I used to. We would have dinner with the uh, uh, spear gun, like you spearfish with. Yeah. Like cocked and loaded at the table. And I can't legally own a firearm in the DR, so I'd keep my spear gun. I'd shoot rats as they'd run across the kitchen table. <laughs> um, and so we lived there for two years. That's where our first son was born. My wife would go out at night and try to find water to bathe him, heat up water. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that still to this day, right, um, I was running just – Run, I run a lot, and so it's like my daily thing. This SUV pulls up beside me maybe a month ago. And anytime that happens, you get a little anxious, right? Like yeah, you know, yeah, white yeah. guy running the DR on these isolated roads. So I'm, you know, I'm a little nervous. Rolls the window down. It's a lady. I'm like, Phew. all right, at least I got a fighting chance. Right. And she says, hey, are you Craig? And I'm like, yeah. She said, do you used to live in this village? And so the village that Joanna and I originally lived in, it was about two miles from the village we serve in, but there were no houses to, to rent, right? Like you used to sleep in the barn, right? right? So we had to rent a house in a closer village where we could build. Anyway, this woman says, hey, you probably don't remember, but uh, and she told me the name of the young man. She's like, I've got a picture of you with him. Pulls her phone out, and it's me probably 10, 11 years ago with this little boy. 
and she said, um, he was my neighbor, I recognized him, and she said, you used to tell him he can be anything that he wants to be, that he doesn't have to stay in this village. And now he's playing double-A ball with the Rockies. She called him on the spot and said, hey, I'm here with Craig, and yeah. And you're being what you want to be. That's awesome. You're being what you want to be. Yeah, super cool, man. Yeah. Super cool. So, so it's you're talking about a whole way of life, right? And, and taking an, an entirely different mentality there because if you hadn't told him he could be anything he wanted to be, he probably wouldn't have known that. Well, I certainly think that it is, you know, if you look at church history, where missionaries go, missionaries typically start schools, yeah, um, hospitals and clinics. And and as a as a missions guy, right? I mean, this is what I do, right? This right. is my thing. Um, you know, I'm excited to see missionaries moving away from what you know in the turn of the you know 20th century we called mission stations, like the Adoniram Judson guys. Yeah. Um, we don't do that as much anymore. We're we've rightly corrected and are focusing on churches and churches being that epicenter of humanitarian relief for their communities and not the missionary. Right. right. So uh, disclaimer that being said, I do think that God's means of, you know, helping his people flourish, right. Which is what get, you know, the side of eternity we are to flourish, sure. right? But that flourishing doesn't necessarily mean health, wealth, and prosperity. It's flourishing in who God has created us to be in Christ. And right. for some of us, that's double A ball for the Rockies. Um, but I've got dozens and dozens of others that are never going to leave the village, but they're yeah. walking with the Lord, right? And so I think it's, well, here I am on a podcast and I'm highlighting that that story of the boy playing professional <laughs> baseball, right? So like I'm seeing my my own hypocrisy as we talk about this, right? Like we instead just keep going, we'll get back yeah. around. <laughs> well I'm just sitting sitting here thinking, right? Like so here I'm talking about this kid like we're celebrating him getting out. Yeah. Right. Um there's another kid, you know, he played um he's made the cover of Sports Illustrated. He just got traded to the Phillies. We'll see how that works. But like a starting big leaguer and he was one of our, our boys. Man. Why is it that our natural tendency is we want to share those stories versus talking about the the witches and and the the housewives who husbands have not come to know the Lord but they've remained faithful wives being you know trying to win them without a word yeah. it's not where we default to right we default right. to these things that are going to make it be like wow that's a really cool job which yeah, is, yeah. which so, is totally why you went down there right Just to make yeah, baseball players uh, but I think on either case right yeah on either side uh, before the foundation of the world the Lord said all right that young man I'm talking about God knew what he had for him and God in you know we we so often want to refer to Jesus as like the author of our faith we, yeah he, he he authors it right, right that means right. he's writing it right yeah. it's he's not co-authoring like yeah. Jesus has written the story and we are consciously right as sentient beings right we are making choices and living in that but at the end of the day God is accomplishing his purposes um, yeah. and that should keep us yeah. Well, if you think about things, even on a surface level, you told that kid, you can be anything you want to be. And and then he got to be whatever he wanted to be. So what are the odds that he's going to listen to you now yeah. 
when you That's tell true. him something That's else. True. You know, you've opened up a whole different door. Yeah. And we do that by things like that or by meeting a need. And and I guess that's where people get off on preach the gospel when necessary, yeah. use where, you know. Well, and I mean, I probably said that to a dozen kids, and a lot of them, some of them may be in jail now. So Well, they didn't listen you know, to you. That's the difference, right? So, you know, All you can do is scatter yeah, the seed, I mean, man. It's, uh, whether we're asleep or awake, we do not know how. That's it, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I will say... It's one of the greatest joys that I have as a missionary. It comes in those moments when God lets me see behind the curtains. Does that makes yeah, sense. Like yeah, when it's yeah. like, so when we were in New York, uh, we went to visit a church. And typically, when I'm going to go visit a church, I don't say anything about it until like the day of. Like we don't let people know unless I'm speaking. Like we don't say anything because right. we don't want. Well, we just want to go to church, right? And it's not yeah. that we don't want to see people. It's just we got to be careful. So anyway. Uh, we go to church, and after church, got to go grab the kids. And I'm just standing in the hallway, and this older couple walks by, and I can see them cutting their I was like, uh oh, I know, know that look. <laughs> and so this couple comes up, and they're like, hey, you know, you probably don't remember us, but like 10 years ago, and they'd heard me speak somewhere. And the woman started quoting my message. She said, you said this, this, this is. We still talk about when you said this, and we'll say to our kids, you remember when Craig McClure said this? And Dude, I was just getting, like, they're talking. I'm just getting overwhelmed. And I'm just like, thank you so much for sharing this. You know, so they leave. Joanna, who's the antisocial, who was hiding and saw Bless that I'd been heart. cornered, was like, wait until those people walked away. My wife does the same she thing. Comes to me. Over, she's like, what was that all about? And I was like, I mean, I don't even know who these people are, but, you know, the Lord just let me see that something that I don't even remember doing, you know, had a radical impact on this couple over the last decade. Um, he doesn't owe us that. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't... I would like to think that I'm going to preach truth. I'm going to proclaim the gospel even if there's no conversions, even if there's never a church. Plan. Right. But man, the Lord must know my heart better than I know my own heart, yeah, obviously, yeah. that he lets me... See I gotta be careful things. with things like that. It's hard for me to accept a compliment yeah. about, "Oh, it's a good sermon." I liked when you did, you know, especially if it's something specific. And then I go, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a good sermon, yeah. wasn't yeah. it?" And, and it should be, and yeah. I should feel confident when I'm yeah. preaching. But at the same time, like, we got to balance the ego. Yeah. Yeah. Versus you don't like, want to be on preacher sneakers, right? Like you don't want to be trending on Instagram because oh, of some, you know, because you got. Some cheesy sound bite. Yeah, you got or, some kind of, you know, God broke the law for love or something. Uh, um, yeah. Bless his heart. <laughs> bless his heart. Hope he finds no. Jesus one day. Yeah. No, but you're right. I mean, I, uh, I actually asked a mentor of mine not long ago because uh, I struggle. And my wife is the best. I know, Craig, like, you know, let people say things to you. Like, yes, yeah. the Lord is encouraging yeah. you that way. But I asked him, I was like, how do you, like, step off a platform and then when somebody comes up and, and compliments you, because I find that I feel dismissive of them when I'm just like, oh, no, it's the Lord. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you know, if somebody says that to me, because I, I have people in my life that it's always like, oh, the Lord, you know, it's, we, we, the privacy of our home. We're like, man, they just Jesus juking everything. Like, oh, Jesus <laughs> my homeboy. You know, it's like, oh, the Lord. And I'm like, no, you know, you, your car didn't have a demon. Jesus didn't resurrect it from the life. Dude, you right. forgot to put gas in it, right? Like, <laughs> quit over-spiritualizing this. So I don't want to yeah. be that guy. Right, yeah. And be like, oh, that sermon, yes, the Lord really spoke, you know. 
Um, and he just said, just like shoot straight with him. Just be yeah. like, hey, you know what? I, I, I'm just grateful that the Lord has given me that gift and that it worked. And uh, and then end it by saying, would would you just pray for me? You know, because this is one of many opportunities that I have to speak. Would yeah. you pray that God keeps me humble and that what, you know, how he ministered to you through what I said, that he'll continue, you know, and just trying to, you know, receive it as a gift from the Lord, right. from the church, without becoming, well, one of those guys. Well, let's test it out, because I remember you and I had a conversation in the parking lot at Castle Baptist <laughs> Church, and I was wrapping my brain around the idea of being in ministry, and you said you you gotta, you gotta have to square with yourself on this mm. and ask yourself ahead of time even, would you rather stand before God mm. with a failed ministry or a failed marriage? Yeah, man. Like, mm. Okay. And yeah. I struggle with that because every time the phone rings, I want to run out yeah. with my cape on, you know, yeah. and go be super pastor yeah. or whatever when I've got family at home that need yeah. dad there. Um, but it's always there. Yeah. You know, anytime there's something going on, I think, well, what would Craig do right now? Yeah. Well, so I stole that from somebody. It's been so long. I don't you remember. You mentioned the name, I think, yeah, and I, I couldn't tell you who it was. Uh, I'm like a good, I'm a, you know, I'm Baptist of the core, so I have nothing original. I stole it from somebody. <laughs> I quoted the first three times after that. It's mine. You've got That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Doesn't matter who said it before you. Neither one of us remember as no, far as we know it was uh, you. And so, um, yeah, that, and now that I've had kids, that continues to be my, my anthem, right? And, uh, you know, again, I get, I have the opportunity. I, I train pastors, missionaries. That's what I get to do for a living, right? So, um, marriage and family is one of the number one things that comes up. And uh, again, you know, the saying is, "I'd rather stand before the Lord with a failed ministry instead of a failed marriage." Now, honestly, I'd rather stand before the Lord with a marriage and a ministry that flourishes, right? Um, but the only way that that can happen is if my marriage flourishes first. And so just remembering, all right, you know, if marriage is the great metaphor, right? Like it's hard for me. And this, I think it was yesterday I was talking to my, one of my kids about this. I deeply love their mother. Yeah. Right. Like I, I picked Joanna in every possible universe. Like, let's just say that, <laughs> there are multiple universes and are that there? there are <laughs> aliens on other planets. Wrong podcast. Uh, uh, but next time. let's just say if I could do it a thousand, I picked their mom every time I picked mm. Joanna. But then Jesus says in eternity, we're not going to be married. Like, no, she's not going to be married to any of those guys because, well, why? Marriage has served its point. Then you right. jump to Ephesians, and Paul's like, yeah, this was hidden for ages. Like, they never understood it. What? That this marriage from the Garden of Eden was pointing to the gospel before sin entered the world? That first marriage institution before there was sin, God was pointing us to the gospel and pointing us to Jesus? And if eternity will be better with me not given to Joanna in marriage— I, I mean, any any tool that I have acquired in my forty years on this planet to help me understand things fails me in that moment, right? Yeah. Like I can't, I, I can't go there. I don't understand yeah. it. But if that's what marriage is, is that ultimate, essentially temporal image of Christ and His Church, then that better be my priority, yeah. right? That should be what I focus on and. Uh, it, it, the truth of the matter is, I've been in a few churches. I've pastored at a couple different churches. Guess what? Joanna always goes with me. 
Yeah. Those church yeah. members don't. You right. know, that person that's calling me, and this sounds awful, like I don't want to come across callous, but look, you're calling me at 5 o'clock at dinner time. So like at our house, we got no phones at the table. The phones go off at a certain time because the truth is, if it's truly emergent, somebody's going to let me know. I will find out. Yeah. Right? So since you're not going to the next church with me, since you're not going to be there when I'm 80, yeah. you know, yeah, and my wife and kids will, well, they get my time. And right. so uh, we view, uh, you know, maybe this will be helpful to somebody. Um, windows of time, so seasons of life. You can you, you can codify it however you want to, right? But I understand that at this season, every yes that I say is a no to something that I'm saying. I'm saying no to something at home, right? So um, you asked me about this podcast. I said yes. Yeah. All right. That's a night away, not having dinner. That's so. I said yes to you, and I inadvertently right. said yeah. no to my family. I have to be aware of that and protect enough yeses. That I can say yes to my yeah, family. Preaching to me right now. Well, I think it's preaching to all of us, yeah. right? And so, but here's how it works well. If we, as the spiritual leaders, whether that we're full time ministry or just pastoring our homes, if we do it well, right, and we prioritize our marriage and our families, Joanna, and, and, you know, so in my case, my wife and my children will not have a hard time giving me. The yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, Dad's going to do a podcast tonight. That yes comes easy because they know that they're getting their yes. And so for me, I try to talk about those times. Um, I think I got this from Piper um, where during the day I divide my time into three parts, morning, afternoon, evening. My family gets one of those segments every day. Yeah. And depending on where my kids are in the stage of life, um, that could be different, you know, school age. Maybe it's an evening that they get yeah. that time. And then one day a week, my family gets three uninterrupted sessions, which means that could be a Monday for us. You know, I have flexibility in my schedule. Uh, maybe it's a Saturday, but my family knows they're getting they're getting that the whole time. day. Um, yeah. And so, and again, I don't know where I got this from either, but it's been very helpful over the last few years. Just be, I want to be, actively present and not passively present. I just found that it's easy for me to give so much of myself to the ministry. When I get home, I'm present, but I'm passively present. Yeah. Yeah. In the house. I'm in the house, but like I'll, and boy, do we fail at this more than we succeed, but I just want to be actively and actively present when I'm Jack Johnson has one of the greatest lines of ever, any song ever written. He says, you give me presence with your presence alone. Now, that is gold, man. Sure enough. Gold. Sure enough. Uh, acoustic gold when Jack is blowing <laughs> it up. So I want to give my children and my wife presence with my presence alone. Yeah. And that's by being actively present. Um, so um, I just... At any given point in time where ministry might cost me something I got to give up with my family or my it's the answer's no it's yeah. just it's just a no um we could have probably taken big churches by now, you yeah. know like there's many opportunities we could take, and it's just like man, 
that's a no to my kids here, yeah. here, here, and here. A no to my wife here, here, and here. I just I can't I can't do that. It's our first church, right? Our home, yeah. our family. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about your home now and your home life and what that's like and your Dominicans is what you guys are. What is it? What's it like? Where you are? What's the name of the village you're in? San Jose. San Jose. All I could think was San Domingo, and I knew that yeah, wasn't right. So that's the capital city. Santo okay. Domingo's the capital city. Uh, we're in a small village called San Jose. Um, I would throw three, four hundred people live in the village. Mm-hmm. Um, when we moved there, um, so it's one road in, just yeah. dead ends at a lake in our village. I love the pictures of your yeah, road. Every time it rains, yeah, it's, it's just know, a, it's a lake, and it's. Um, I mean, it's a village. The people have houses. Um, nobody had, well, I won't say nobody. The, uh, uh, only a couple of houses had like concrete floors when we moved there. So that was some of the projects we did was like just for sanitation purposes, putting right. um, floors in people's houses. Um, I had one man, we did his floor. He's, he passed, he's now passed away. Uh, he was one of the first ones. And he said, tomorrow morning, it'll be the first time in 88 years that I woke up and stepped on concrete wow. he'd stepped on dirt for 88 88 years. years um bathrooms there were no indoor no indoor bathrooms in any of the houses when we moved there so we've done latrine projects our house has an indoor bathroom i mean right. we built a house catch rainwater, put a well in you can it's not as challenging as people think right i mean people have been living like this for many many yeah. years there's plenty of ways to live off grid um yeah we have more cattle goats and then we have people um, <laughs> it's just a small village. I mean, yeah. it, when people say it takes a village, it legitimately, like we have a village raising our, that's awesome. our family. Yeah. How much of the village is involved with your church? Um, I would say attendance wise, it can fluctuate. I mean, we can have, we've had up to 18 to 20% of the village actually oh, wow. attending in church. Um, COVID, like everybody else, I mean, it yeah. hit, uh, like, our country shut down. Like, airports oh, were man. down, nobody entered out. Six months, we had to have vaccine cards to, like, being, like, get in to do commerce. Right. Um, it was a, a tough thing. And so the convenience of just attending church, uh, that's, we changed our services because of the curfew laws. Um, and that really hurt us but i would say you know there's a couple dozen believers you know the cool thing is like generations of believers yeah right so we've been there long enough where disciples ended up marrying other disciples and they've had kids (laughs) and so like we'll get together for something in the middle of town middle of the village and there'll be five or six families and they're all people that you know came to know the lord since we got there fell in love got married having lots of babies raising babies in the faith raising babies in community with the church it's a cool thing man to just be able to so many missionaries leave before they get to see yeah just well you think about a year or maybe even five years is not long enough to see something like that well they say like an american pastor i think lifeway's got some stats out there that five years for an american pastor to be accepted into an established church yeah um you know, for us, when Joanna got pregnant with Joseph, everybody thought we were leaving. Like, oh, well, pregnant, yeah. she's leaving. And it was her mom who said, hey, you know, you live here. You should consider having here. Like, well, no missionaries have their babies in the Dominican Republic. Right. 
but okay. And Joanna was just, so I'm saying, man, like <laughs> she was gung ho. So, yeah. um, right up until the moment of birth, everybody's like, y'all, y'all are leaving, right? Like y'all aren't, y'all are leaving, have yeah. the baby. And that's six months, right? So you leave, then you got to wait for the baby to be born. You got to wait for a birth certificate. You got to wait for a passport. Right. So you pop out four babies over the course of a few years. That's a You've significant lost. amount of time yeah. off the field. Um, but our children being born there, I mean, our village people will tell you, like, I will always be a foreigner. I will yeah. never be yeah. one of them. Yeah. But my kids, you know, like, it's funny. People say, like, they just want to close their eyes and listen to them because you're like, yeah. whoa, didn't expect that. Right. Yeah. Um, Your yeah. blonde head, blue-eyed yeah. kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't really – I look forward if we do return to the States one day. I mean, I'm sure we will. Um Having learned and experienced what we've learned and experienced about community, yeah, living in a culture that values like family generations, right? So you think Latin America, like grandparents, parents, grandkids, all in that one big unit. Yeah, um, we've learned a lot about what the first century church must have experienced. You know, mm-hmm. when Jesus talks about let the dead bury the dead, you know, yeah. hating your mother and father. It's just seeing that that family relationship within the church. You know, you're talking about language earlier. The diversity of language, I just think it's such a beautiful thing that, you know, the Tower of Babel, sin, right? <laughs> right. Sin. God creates languages. God chooses a people, brings a people into a promised land, disperses a people into exile outside of that promised land. But as a result of that exile, you now have these little synagogues that pop up all over the dysphoria where yeah. there's multiple languages being taught and understood by you know, people in exile. And then the Great Commission is literally, hey, all those people that I scattered, go gather them. Yeah. And the reason is that diversity was necessary, just like sin was necessary in the garden for us to have a fuller understanding and appreciation of the scope and depth and mag- you know when Paul says in Ephesians where he's asked praying for the Ephesians those two Ephesian prayers Paul's asking for the impossible like give them understanding of the you know or give them comprehension of the incomprehensible right, right? Yeah. and that's what you know thinking about language and diversity all of that had to happen just to give a a a little bit clear image of the glory, the multifaceted glory of God. Yeah. I just think that's what do you think about the plan of God, you know, start to finish as far as we think of it and all the things, those things all happen leading up to you yeah. going to this place with this language and these people. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, we are the ends of the back. earth, right? Like yeah. it's, it, I, I, sometimes I, I sit around and I think to myself, okay, in eternity, I mean, I don't know what this is going to actually look like. Right. But, my my hope is that the Lord will be able to show us the chain of gospel faithfulness that led to our conversion. Yeah. Because, you know, I got into a little bit of an argument with the guy several months ago about the sufficiency of Scripture and missionaries, and he said, I mean, God, God spoke to Moses through a bush. And I was like, and, but now he has spoken to us through the Sun. But anyway, yeah. you know, uh, it's neither here nor there. But talking about like these... Individuals on islands, you know, that great hypothetical, the innocent Indian on an island, and, you know, I think it was Platt said, well, there is no innocent Indian, but if there was, he'd be fine, but (laughs) there aren't any. Um, So the point being, 
if if those people exist to bring glory to God, which they do, the chief end of man is to bring glory to God and enjoy Him forever, and all of humanity, regardless of their you know redeemed state, will do just that. Yeah. Um, and so, I think looking back at how you know a kid from Hiawassee, Georgia, all white county. And now raising babies, where I'm a you know only white guy within like a forty mile radius, I look forward to the day when I can say, Jesus, can you just give me some insight? All right, from birth of the church because we're good New Covenant theologians, right, right? Right. Like since the New Covenant birth of the church, what's my story? Yeah. Like what? Who begat who? And who, yeah, <laughs> show me that generational chart. Yeah. That led to me. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, God will probably give us the opportunity to see the generational chart that comes after us. Yeah. And that too is a pretty humbling. Absolutely. Thought, yeah. Right? Does so you it think about start with, there stop were, with me? Yeah. There were people that came down to you, and then are there people that come after you, and how many? Yeah. Where are they? And you know, because you're sending people out all over the world now. Yeah. Yeah. So what a what a I don't know. It's a responsibility is an understatement, it yeah. seems. Yeah. Well, I think it just, again, it goes back to um, people can respond in a couple of ways. One can be, uh, obviously, arrogance, which is our natural, you know, like, yeah, you know, we, default position. we've actually done a really good job. Thank you for noticing. <laughs> yeah. It took y'all long enough to see how great we are. Um, so you have that aspect. Uh, I, I try to intentionally just sit back and say he could do every bit of this without me right yeah. like i talking about accepting compliments one of the ones i don't take is when people with good intentions sure but bad theology come up to me and they're like man thank god that you went down there brother craig because had you not gone down, I, I, I gotta be careful. It's, died, it's, it is as much as it feels like it's just us talking. It's not just us no, talking. I gotta be a little careful. Here. No, uh, that not that I would not be holy outside of you know in the privacy of my home, but right. Um, oh, Craig, had you and Jonah not gone, this and about no, no, listen to me. That individual, you know, it's KK. I can start naming these names. Every single one of them had their name written before the foundation of the world. Yeah. And it was God's pure pleasure, according to his good pleasure, all right, in love he predestined us. So God, and, and I think that all missionaries need to start here, right? So we talk about language acquisition is important, but this is this is what you got to be able to communicate, right? So knowing, all right, before time began, God looked through eternity and he set his affections on a people, right? Yeah. Just like I looked at Joanna, and I set a particular love on her, does not in any way diminish the love I have for other people, for other women, for other individuals. It is simply to say, this love right. for her is particular. And God did that for a people before the foundation of the world. So God the Father acted, right? Yeah. God the Son, when the Father, you know, in obedience to the Father, came. And, you know, I think that's this is where we get missionaries make big mistakes. 
when Jesus entered into time, Jesus entered into time with a precise mission, not a an uncertain mission, right? There was, you know, eternal certainty in that which he would accomplish. And, and, and I think we... we minimize the glory of the gospel when we say things like, well, I mean, Jesus died on the cross and he didn't know if anybody would believe, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Like people hear yeah, that kind of stuff yeah. or, you know, Jesus loved you this much. He stretched out his hands and all that yeah. stuff. Like, I, I understand where you're coming from, why you want to say those things. But in fact, by doing so, you have reduced God down to some lonely, decrepit person yeah. who is just softly, meekly, tenderly, safely come yeah. over here to me. Uh, when in fact the the meta narrative of scripture says something entirely different, right? Yeah. Like Jesus came and died for a people. Yeah. All right. Now the church, the Holy Spirit. Four minutes. Okay. Uh, the whole the whole. Can you close this up in four yeah, minutes? Yeah, I can. <laughs> okay. No, you're fine. So Jesus, you know, the Holy Spirit then coming for that third and final act is his, you know, effectuating, right? Like he's, you know, that the gospel was sufficient enough to buy everybody, to purchase everybody, but, you know, precise enough that it is, you know, applied to every single individual that Jesus bought and every single individual that God the Father intended to save. Not one more, not one less, every single person. The mission is finished in the sense of it is done to tell us die. Nothing left to do mm. except that Holy Spirit who is now canvassing the planet through the church and saying, all right, you, you, you. Wish I knew who those people were. I don't. Right. It's probably better that I don't. I might not try as hard on, you know. I yeah, just, the, just, just like reserving my evangelism yeah, for yeah. the the chosen. So we're down to three minutes now? All right, so your money all comes from somewhere. Uh, uh, how do you right, how do, how do people talk support you? without money. All right. you, you got to. Got to go missions. Yeah. Missions and money. Um, score International, uh, scoreintl.org. Uh, you can Google us. Um most people communicate with me on Instagram, so Craig D. McClure on Instagram or uh, Facebook if you want to shoot a message, um, tell you how to, to give that way. Um, Might be a day or two before you get back, but that's okay. That I, I am, <laughs> uh, now that you bring that up, I, I only have certain days during the week when I respond to communications, and so that, that would be why. I got you, I got you. Yeah. Well, cool. We'll wrap it up right there because we got two minutes left, and I don't want to, we still got to record a 30-second intro. All right. So. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure, guys. God bless you guys. We love you. See you next time. Awesome. Thank you for watching Burnham Podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.